Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in. Happy Tuesday, and welcome to the On Texas Football Tuesday night live stream uh, on On Texas Football. I'm Aaron Hogan, C.J. Uh, Vogel and Rod Baber is joining me, and we're going to talk plenty of Texas football over the next hour plus. We'll take your questions, and we're watching Longhorn basketball as well. So kind of double duty while we watch the Horns up two with about uh, under 17 minutes to play in Norman, Oklahoma, the uh, Red River rivalry in full effect there. We'll keep you posted. Obviously, you may be watching along on that game while talking to us, which is great, too. Uh, you can shoot questions basketball-wise, too, if you have them. Longhorns is set up, two, looking to uh, maybe shoot some free throws there in Norman, Oklahoma. It's on Texas football. Uh, brought to you by Texas Electricity Ratings tonight. We'll tell you about them coming up. If you live in the great state of Texas, you want to learn about Texas Electricity Ratings uh, as we get this thing rolling. Uh, but, guys, there's a lot to talk about, a lot on the docket, and it's uh, another portal acquisition and uh, signing today after a weekend visit. And uh, C.J. Vogel, tell us about the eighth portal edition for the Longhorns, the fourth on defense that came in this morning. Yeah, Tio Elias Villa, a 6'4", 300-pound defensive tackle out of uh, Arizona. Uh, bear with me right here. I know that the Wi-Fi is a little bugging, but uh, Tio Elias Villa joins the Texas defensive line group right now. Uh, big addition, Texas needs depth, Texas needs production and experience. He brings a little bit of all of that. He was very disruptive against Oklahoma and the Alamo Bowl. A big run stopper first. He will be the guy that replaces Trill Carter in this upcoming season in that rotational role. Texas obviously still needs another piece on that defensive line. But for now, uh, this is a good body to add to that room, someone with experience, someone with a little bit of talent as well. Uh, had six and a half, uh, six tackles for loss this season, as well as a, a sack and a half uh, for the Arizona Wildcats. Was a rotational guy there, will be a rotational guy here as well. So big addition again in the sense of getting bodies uh, on campus, uh, and, and Texas should, is certainly uh, very happy with getting Sevilla into the fold now. Rod Babers, I know we talked last Tuesday on the live stream about defensive tackle and uh, the depth. You know, it's, it looks like you're looking more and more like a defense that'll be built out of, you know, out of coverage and speed at linebacker and edge pressure, edge players. But at the same time, you still got to be thick in the middle and uh, stout in the middle. Longhorns were the best in the country, arguably, this past year there. But uh, what, what do you? How do you see this rotation now with Sevilla in? who has the experience and the connection to Johnny Nansen, the new defensive coordinator, uh, fitting, fitting in with the guys that are already here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with uh, CJ. I think he's going to be uh, in the rotational uh, rotation of these guys. I mean, he's, he, he's a guy you had to have. I mean, you just needed proven commodities. You needed a quality depth at defensive tackle. It's just going to – I just feel like it's going to be such a drastic change defensively when the last two years you've had – the deepest interior D-line in the country uh, in 2022. And in 2023, you had the best interior D-tackle 
duo in the country. And you go from that to Alfred Collins, Vernon Brown, who are they're good players. Uh, but man, that's how do you replace the depth? It's more about the depth. I think those guys are actually going to have uh, their best seasons. I think it, it it could be possible. Alfred Collins has a breakout campaign, regardless of who the D line coach is. I mean, that guy. We we got to talk one second about you know Alfred Collins and his measurables and what what could what is possible with him if the light if it all comes together with him. Um, you know, I mean, this is a guy that really could push his draft stock through the roof. So if you get, let's just assume that, you know, those guys are going to play as well, if not better than they played last year, you still don't have the depth. I mean, last year you basically had, assuming Alfred Collins, and we all agree he's an NFL player, you had three NFL guys in your defensive uh, tackle rotation last year. Two years ago, you you, you had five of them, basically, <laughs> your defensive tackle rotation. NFL caliber defensive tackles, man, it's not a lot of programs in the country that can say that. So how do you replace the depth there? That's why you had to have this guy. I'm not saying he's an NFL caliber defensive tackle. I haven't done that kind of research on him, but he is a proven commodity in terms of what he can do. And I think CJ just mentioned he's a run stuffer. That first and foremost, I think, is how he can help you. One thing I thought was interesting, too, and uh, CJ, you probably noticed this, too. If you go look up his alignment and where he lined up, this is a guy that also lined up uh, in multiple shades, lined him up uh, at times, lined him up on the edge. Uh, he has lined up. He has uh, at least 16 snaps and at different shades all up and down that defensive front. That's interesting um, because I've always said about Alfred Collins, that's a guy that should be playing multiple shades because he's got, I mean, it, just a situationally matchup wise, you should be able to put him in multiple shades on the edge in uh, on the interior and move that guy around and hunt matchups, or at least put him where you think you need him most, depending on who you're playing and what the, what the, what the strength of the offense is. But that's why he was a, a guy you had to have. So now you got at least three players who have played quality snaps, high level snaps at the college level that you have in that defensive tackle rotation um, hope is not a strategy. So I agree with CJ. You got to bring in another one. We can't hope that Sadir Mitchell and hope that the guys that have not seen as much action, that they're going to take the next step, especially when we don't know who the D-line coach is. We're going to get into that too. Um, so that's a hell of a get. Uh, Johnny Nansen acquisition is already paying huge dividends for you. Uh, he's you know t- coming from the you know the poly side, the, 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 sorry the poly uh, community and that uh, Pacific Islander community. That is you know obviously something that Johnny Nansen can tap into because he's a part of it already. You're seeing huge dividends from that as well. Yeah, as Vino said on the uh, comment line, we don't need no stinking D line coach. You know what I'm saying? That's a good thing. <laughs> hey, uh, well, we'll talk about that coming up, as Rod said. CJ, speak to the rotation and how this thing plays out. Um, you know, and what, how would you compare him to Trill Carter as far as Trill? Trill, of course, was in for a year from Minnesota, became a rotational player, but obviously it was all about Tavondre and Byron Murphy and what they brought. And then uh, Alfred Collins in behind that, Vernon Broughton. Is he that kind? Is he based on what we know from Johnny Nansen and what we saw at Arizona? Of course, Johnny Nansen, uh, if you haven't heard, also recruited him out of high school. So he was the primary recruiter when he came out of high school. So has a longstanding relationship with this player. But what type of uh, impact do you think we, he can have alongside Collins, Broughton, and Sadir Mitchell? Yeah, I think you're cer- you'll certainly see him in that that same Trill Carter role in the rotation coming in for uh, what you would expect to be early downs, not necessarily those big third and longs, third and mediums, or where you know it's an obvious passing situation. You want him in running situations. He has heavy hands. He doesn't. Uh, get pushed back all too far too often. But with that said, he's not a great pursuer of the quarterback. So 
you want him in on those downs where you anticipate running situations. I think you'll see a, a very similar statistical output of what you saw with Trill Carter. The difference is their body makeups are a little bit different. Trill, not the biggest guy. You know, he probably played around 310 pounds. He's short stocky, didn't move all too far back as well. Uh, but with, with Sevilla, he's about 6'4", so he's a bigger guy. With that said, I think he's a little bit leaner. So he's not as as pudgy or uh, as as thick, if you will, in the interior. He's certainly a little bit leaner, but he's taller. And uh, again, weighed right around 300, 305 pounds is what I think Arizona ha had him listed at. But it's the heavy hands and the inability to be pushed off the ball, which is really what is impressive to me when you talk about Tuaiola, tu uh, Aliyah. <laughs> that name will never get easy. Oh, uh, man. Sophia. You but, way uh, better than me. That's, that was great. That was a good job because I don't even say it. I don't even attempt to say it. <laughs> I, I, I need to just go Sevilla only. But, but, <laughs> but right there, I mean, yeah, he's going to be good in the run, run stopping situations, early rundowns. Uh, similar to what Texas went out and added with Kendrick Blackshear, this is a guy that you want in early down situations and not necessarily in those guaranteed drop back to pass uh, 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 kind of downs for uh, opposing offenses. Well, Ron D-Line, CJ, and Rod, talk to me about uh, this rotation. We mentioned Alfred Collins, that's the super high ceiling. We know if he could take that step forward like Tavondre Sweat and Jandre Coburn and more Ojimo in past years, you know, he can be a force. And even in the SEC, Vernon Broughton was a highly recruited player out of uh, Cyprus down in the greater Houston area. And then Sadir Mitchell is a massive guy. I mean, if you, you know, I saw him at the spring game, saw him on the sidelines this year. I mean, he is just massive, uh, you know, but it's got to be developed, which comes back to D-line coach. He's out of uh, Bergen, New Jersey, uh, one of the, the big Catholic school up there. Uh, how do you see that rotation? I mean, obviously it's not going to be the strength it was a year ago. What can it be? Uh, and we look, we're, not, they're, we're not sure if they're done. It could be in the spring portal, could be other uh, players that they're looking at. But as it stands now, how do you see and, and rate this defensive line, you know, four-person rotation at this point? Well, the biggest question is that nose. Where does Texas find their true nose? We know Texas feels confident. Uh, confident. Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton, obviously. Uh, they've been in that rotation. You can add Sevilla to that, that group as well. These guys all kind of fit into that, that three-tech or, or further out combination right there. So uh, you'll line them up over the guard and beyond, not necessarily nose up over the, over the center. So where does that guy come from? Could it be Alex January making a – a run for the money as a true freshman? Maybe. Could it be Sadir Mitchell taking a massive step forward this spring? I hope so. But then there's also Aaron Bryant in that mix as well, who Texas is very high on and is hopeful to take a little bit of a elite developmentally. We saw him for about 20 to 25 snaps per game towards the end of the season. He was one of five Texas uh, defensive linemen that got snaps against Washington. So something of note right there. Texas was high on him. They trusted him enough last year to be in that rotation when the snaps meant the most. So uh, it's all about finding that one true nose right now to really take control, take uh, leadership and command of that position. I don't think they have it on the roster right now. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yep. Agree, Ron? Yeah. Uh, well, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that, you know, right now, the way the defense is projecting, the way things are, are projecting the, the returning starters, the, the back seven could end up being the strength of this defense and the edges of the defensive line, of course, because you got a lot of returning uh, starters there and you also are bringing in Trey Moore off the edge, natural pass rusher. So just the way it's looking, you probably will be susceptible to power run game. This just 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 throwing it out right now the way it's like if your DBs continue to progress, they evolve, they get better. You got uh, Jade Barron coming back. You got Makuba coming to the secondary. Derek Williams, we anticipate taking a leap. Anthony Hill taking a leap, right? You know we don't know who's gonna end up winning the other linebacker spot, but hell, man, you you got some depth there. Maybe it's Mo Blackwell, maybe it's Leon LaFowl, uh, but you know at least you got a guy Anthony Hill that is gonna elevate the position. Uh, you know la- last year you were a front seven. Uh, you know, kind of strength defense. That's where the strength of your defense was why you were one of the best rush defense in, in all of college football and you were susceptible to the pass. So it's just like CJ said, you, it's going to be key that you figure out who your your elite run force defenders are going to be. It's glad, I'm glad you got Bender coming back because that's, that's going to be important for you because he's a guy that's more of a run force defender than he is a pass, def- pass defender. You know, having a guy, you know, coming in, like Blackshear from uh, from Alabama, he didn't he didn't have any real starts under his belt in Alabama, but he's a guy that has the 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 makeup, the build of a guy who could be a downhill run defender for you. You don't have many of those guys. Anthony Hill can be damn near anything, but you don't want to relegate him to being that if that's the case. And we don't we haven't really seen him that be that necessarily that inside middle linebacker run force defender because you didn't really have to do it a ton. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they they approach this because right now that's how I think teams are going to try to attack Texas if if they don't have that that rock of Gibraltar right that big body in the middle of the defense which they've had conveniently it would seem for the last two three years. Well, yeah, and, that, and, that, and one, the, the, one one more quick thing, real quick, Aaron. Sorry to cut you off, but Rod, you mentioned that Alfred Collins' ability to move up and down the line. He could be an yeah. option at nose. The problem with Alfred, who's about 6'5", 320, is what he played at uh, uh, this this past season. So a big body in that middle, is he so active and athletic that it gets him out of position in the run-stopping game, and that's where he gets in trouble. So you got to find a guy that stays true to the run-stopping principles as well as being physically imposing in that middle. Texas right now doesn't have that in my eyes. Well, and then you look at the 12-game uh, the schedule – you know, you're going to have some games like Colorado State early. That's going to be Jay Norvell. That's a heavy pass team. So you kind of match up Michigan's week two. So whether it's Jim Harbaugh or Sharon Moore, that's going to be a power run it down your guts football team. Yep. You know that Georgia, same kind of thing. You yep. As you move into the SEC, Rod, you know, Kentucky is a smash mouth football team who Texas has on their schedule. You got to be able to play a, a variety of types of defense, right? And match up with a variety of offenses. It's, 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 uh, it's the SEC, and you got Michigan on the schedule, so you know you're going to see a little bit of everything over 12 football games. Yep, I totally. I mean, it's I totally agree with you. And you know, last year, I mean, this defense obviously they took away one thing. They took away your run game, made you one dimensional. Um, it'll be a different recipe this season. You'll still have strengths, but you'll have different strengths. So for PK, it'll be a different recipe this season. But interesting to see how what the changeup is for him, what they try to take away. And like you said, based on the matchup each week, I do believe just predicting there the power run game will be something that Texas has to worry about just right now before they that if you're looking at holes right now in the roster, like CJ said, but they still got transfer another transfer portal window to fix that. 
Still, I mean, we don't know what Sadir Mitchell and those guys are going to end up being. That could end up being a pleasant surprise for you. But, you know, hope is not a strategy. So, you know, you want as a coach, <laughs> you want to have a plan. And I think they need to make sure they have a contingency plan potentially at the defensive line in case uh, the young guys don't take the, the, the leap that you that you anticipate. And there's no Bo Davis. And they don't have a D-line coach either. You yeah. know, so that's the only thing that really that's it's it's just it's just crazy that that goes from the strength of the team last year now to the, probably the biggest weakness on the team, or at least the biggest question mark on January twenty third yeah. without a doubt. Uh, and we'll talk about D line coach coming up. But while we're on transfer portals for folks keeping score at home, you have four offensive portal additions and four defensive portal additions now, uh, and really targeted. Obviously, receiver was huge and catches. You lost 85 percent of your receptions from last year. So three wide receivers in the portal: Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden. Uh, coming in, uh, also Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Bol, Isaiah. Okay, let me get this. Matthew Golden, mm-hmm. Isaiah Bolden. No, nope. no. Silas Bolden. Bond, yeah. Huh? Silas Bolden. The Bolden. law firm, and then the tight end, <laughs> the, the, the Amari Nyblack. And then on defense, you went. Now you have the uh, the kid Savea from Arizona on D line up front in the interior. Trey Moore on the pass rush. Andrew Makuba uh, at the at the corner spot, or excuse me, the the defensive back spot. Uh, where you now you've added four on the defensive side. Hey, where are we going with uh, Jabbar Muhammad, uh, CJ? I mean, give, where what where is that? That was one that was in town over the weekend or last week uh, from Washington, of course. Then he went off to Alabama. Now reports he's at Oregon. Jabbar Muhammad, the cousin of, of Manny Muhammad, on the Texas defensive backfield already. What is where does that stand as we uh, talk this evening? Yeah, Aaron, those wide receivers are supposed to be the easy portal names. I know you're right. <laughs> I'm trying to watch basketball at the same time. <laughs> I, I feel you. Uh, but with Jabbar, Jabbar Muhammad, obviously he visited Texas last Wednesday for a midweek official visit. Uh, did make the trip to Tuscaloosa, which was something that Texas fans uh, and, and sources behind the scenes were kind of indicating, hey, maybe not. You know, if he doesn't make that trip to Tuscaloosa on Friday, things are looking very good for Texas. Obviously made it to Tuscaloosa. That would have indicated he was going to go to Oregon as well, which he did today. He got in this morning. Uh, we'll stay to, uh, through this evening and into tomorrow. So that is something to monitor very closely. Oregon offers a faster and more, uh, I don't know if efficient's not the word, but he is available to be on the field more for Oregon than what he would be for Texas, if that makes sense. Hmm. That's the package that they are presenting to him. Wow. Uh, obviously, Oregon can fit and match whatever NIL offer is is presented elsewhere. But right now it's really about getting on the field for that last year of eligibility in terms of getting looks for scouts in the NFL draft. That's very important to the Muhammad's uh, and, and his camp right now. When you look at Texas and how Texas is hoping to see Malik Muhammad and obviously Terrence Brooks progress and become that down after down guy, it poses a little bit of a question mark. We saw that Texas likes to rotate their, their entire secondary a lot uh, this past season. Right now, Oregon is pitching the idea of a, a deeper volume share of yeah. snaps at cornerback, which is something that is certainly weighing heavily in the mind of Jabara Muhammad right now. He should end up uh, uh, wrapping up his visit tomorrow, and I expect a, a decision by the end of the week. Yeah, Jabbar Muhammad, we saw him uh, against Texas in that Sugar Bowl. Really good player, Rod, war number one, very aggressive corner. And obviously, as we talked about on our show this morning, I mean uh, – these guys who were, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks in the NFL previously are now coming back. They're coming back to, to do just what CJ said. I mean, Isaiah Bond said it. I want to improve my draft stock, right? That's my corporation right now. And if you're trying to improve that stock, you're trying to get a lot of reps. You want to be maybe the number one corner 
matched up against the number one receivers as much as possible. Uh, so you're looking at Alabama, where it's his previous coach at Washington and Kalen DeBoer. They're losing uh, both of their starting corners to the NFL draft, Kool-Aid McKinstry and uh, the other the other fella. And then, uh, you know, Texas is a lot about family and closeness and to, to family because he's from South Dallas, went to DeSoto. He's got two cousins on the team and Manny Muhammad and uh, you know Billy Walton, the, the pass rusher. So convenience for the family. But as, as uh, CJ said, might be a little bit of a log jam as far as reps and, and starting opportunities. And then, you know, there's Oregon who may be, you know, far distance, but they're offering him a chance to be the number one corner potentially. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a no brainer, actually. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, as you're trying to make it to the NFL, you need as much film out there as possible. And then you need NFL scouts to, to see you play against, you know, the, the elite uh, competition, uh, whoever that's going to be. And yeah, you really can't take a chance at losing your starting job or, being in a heavy rotation at corner. That's not a, so it doesn't mean Texas, what they do is a bad thing. You know, Texas, they, they, this is their way of rotating corners. And I, I always, when I play, we didn't rotate as much as the guys do. I mean, we didn't, we didn't rotate at all. Um, it's a different era though. You play a lot more plays these days than they played back when I played because you had these past heavy offenses. So I get it. Um, but there are times I do believe they need to be a little bit more judicious with the rotations I think there needs to be more thought put into when the like the situations that you're putting these players in, like the different situations in, in which you are rotating the guys. And yeah. I don't know if that's considered enough. Seems like I don't know if there is like a, just a set rotation already prior to the game or if it's the flow of the game as the rotation changes or if it is situational. I don't know that, but it doesn't seem like it is situational. Seems like it's already preset at times to me it feels yeah, like that anyway. yeah like, like well, a, you get snap every odd snap and the other yeah. guy gets every even whereas the situation isn't necessarily taken into context of who should be out there i'm yeah. with you Roddy. it felt like there were times last year where it's like oh hold on this is <laughs> right. down you know like <laughs> but, but, but think about this a little bit i'm with you yeah, yeah. Like it was pre-scripted at the same time. I do think they had defensive backs, especially at safety, Rod. We talked about it a lot. I know you all talked about it on Texas football. You had good uh, good box safeties to come up and support the run and be physical, and then you had good coverage safeties, and so you're trying to maybe mix and match a little bit. Same time, that's why they're trying to be more malleable, as you talk about, Rod, back there, yep. where you got more versatile defensive backs. You can do a little bit of everything, a little rangier, speed, uh, cover, and come up and support in the run game which will be big. So we'll keep an eye on Jabbar Muhammad uh, out of that portal. We said four on offense, four on defense. CJ, are, are you think in this cycle, are they done in the portal or in, in, would wait to the spring outside of Jabbar Muhammad or are there others? We're still all waiting on the Michigan situation where everyone anticipates Jim Harbaugh is going to move to the National Football League, the Chargers. He's interviewed twice now with the uh, LA Chargers. You know, a lot of thought, thought that's where he's going to land, which would open up Michigan's roster. Would that be of interest? Uh, and where else would the Texas Longhorns be looking right now as far as portal early January, early yeah, to mid-January. So we, we, we've obviously touched on the defensive line and where Texas needs to go with the nose position. Uh, Texas obviously still after Jabbar Muhammad uh, and, and potentially adding more to their defensive back room. That would be a luxury to Texas. That's not necessarily a big need at the moment. Obviously, we've talked about Jade Barron coming back, Andrew Makuba's addition, as well as five very talented true freshmen coming in as well. Spring football should give you a great un understanding and idea of where Texas is in their defensive back room. Right now, I feel like they're pretty comfortable. I think that 
The addition of Jabbar Muhammad would be elite. Right now, you can live without. And I think that you can live without adding another piece. However, there are two names that were brought up to me today. The first is uh, Arizona defensive back Takario Davis, who officially entered the portal today after kind of flirting around with uh, a possible entry earlier in the week. 6'4", cornerback out of Arizona, formerly with Johnny Nansen as well. So that's the connection. Uh, led the Pac-12 and passed, uh, passes broken up. Great length, great athleticism, has the reach and, and, and obviously uh, extension to get to just about any pass in his vicinity. That was kind of his MO on the field, all Pac-12 guy as well. The other one that was brought up to me is probably the best cornerback in the entire country. And this is a little bit of a long shot, so hear me out. But Will Johnson was someone that was brought up to me earlier today as as someone to watch in case Jim Harbaugh does take the L.A. Chargers job, which he is in L.A. right now, uh, interviewing for the second time with uh, the L.A. Brass out there. So that is something to watch. If Jim Harbaugh takes that job and Texas misses on Jabbar Muhammad, there might be some rumblings around Ann Arbor about who enters the portal. And if Will Johnson does, he's someone that I expect Texas to be very active in pursuing. The question and the biggest hurdle right now is Will Johnson's from Michigan. His father played at Michigan. His father actually played with the current Michigan director of recruiting as well. So that's a lot of ties to the to the state of Michigan, the University of Michigan. A lot to overcome right there. But in the sense of getting on the field and competing for a national championship with a, a coach that you know will be there, Texas provides that. So uh, something to monitor. Not a guarantee by all by by any means, but it was mentioned earlier and by someone with the name of Will Johnson. If if you have the opportunity to land him, you go all out and you do. Okay. We'll, we'll keep an eye on those names. Corner and uh, in three three cases, and we'll see if D-line could crop up as well for the Texas Longhorns. We're sitting in eight portal additions to this point. And that leads it back to the uh, coaching conversation. And Longhorns, we've alluded to a couple of times here on our Tuesday live stream, brought to you by Texas Energy, uh, Electricity Ratings, which we'll tell you about here coming up. Uh, still no D-line coach. The finality is now uh, – final and official on Dwayne Aquina. He is not coming back. He is going to be the defensive coordinator at Arizona. So good for your former coach, Rod, at 67, to be back running a defense for the new head coach there, Brent Brennan. That's pretty cool. Uh, he wanted to be back on the field, wanted to be back in a more prominent role than, than advisor or, you know, analyst as he was. Uh, good for him. You know, almost, you, you know Dwayne very well and Coach Aquina, Rod. He, he was yeah. probably like a caged animal up there watching film and sitting in the booth and not being able to do his thing. I'm sure he enjoyed it at the same time. You know, you got to, those guys got to, you got to let them out and let them go yeah. do their thing. Yeah, that guy, he's all about, you know, connections with people. He wants to be, uh, he wants to be right in the mix. He wants to be out there recruiting. Um, he wants to be able to coach the, the players on the field. And yeah, him not being able to do those things, not being able to cultivate those relationships. Uh, yeah, I, I got a feeling kind of, Felt like a caged bird. So, uh, uh, yeah, man, let Coach Aquina free. And I'm glad he got not just – we thought he was going to get an assistant coaching job. He got the defensive coordinator job, and I'm happy for him. Uh, and I, I, it would have been – I mean, it would have been a dream come true to get Coach Aquina on your you know, coaching staff as an analyst. Uh, Logan fans are a little bit spoiled. I mean, you know, Co Co Nick Saban was doing this for years, but, you know, Nick Sark started doing it, and it was really good, too, getting these big-time big coaches who are either – been fired or or they want a reduced role to come on your staff as a special assistant. Joe D. Camillas, Paul Christ, uh, you know, Gary Patterson, you know, my Hall of Fame coaches on your staff as analysts. And yeah, I think, you know, just not getting coaching Kena, 
I don't think we should get accustomed to getting those big time names all the time. It'd be great. Uh, you can get those big time names like that all the time, but coach Akina, I'm happy for him. And, uh, you know, he's, he'll do a great job. I mean, he always, he's always about ball. He always does a great job, uh, in developing talent. And he's just, he, he's been a coordinator before. So he's a scheme savvy guy. Well, and in, in, in quick response and Sark, I think probably at some point thought he had Dwayne Akina coming and then, you know, the circumstances changed and Jed fish went to Washington and, New coach comes in and wants to keep keep Dwayne Aquino around uh, for his first staff there at uh, in the desert. Uh, so William Gay is the name coming in, and uh, law, uh, NFL fans will know William Gay, Pittsburgh Steeler for 10, 11 years, won a Super Bowl with the Steelers, and uh, you know got into coaching as an intern with Pittsburgh and then Missouri State with Bobby Petrino. Uh, this is one you know complete opposite from sixty seven years old to thirty nine, kind of getting into the game, but uh, another uh, NFL coach with NFL ties to Shard Choice. Chris Jackson at wide receiver. Uh, these guys have NFL ties. Um, this is kind of a place like Sark likes to go. Uh, first, you, CJ, on William Gay. Why? And then, Rod, I want your thoughts on, uh, you know, a defensive back that's kind of a, you know, a peer of yours as far as age and playing in the NFL and things of that nature. Pretty much. Well, yeah, I mean, it certainly makes sense in the sense of uh, adding to the secondary room and getting some new – uh, ideas, takes, uh, experience to that room that we talked about, the revamping of the athleticism and total talent in that room this offseason. Getting some fresh ideas and schematic approaches is certainly something that will help. Well, William Gay was with the Steelers, who for the last 15 years, ever since Mike Tomlin was there, Rod, you and I talked about it. That has been one of the best cultural approaches to the NFL uh, for the last 15 years, specifically yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the Steelers and what Coach Tomlin have, have currently still have right now in Pittsburgh is still very impressive to be able to go out and win football games in which the likes of me are playing quarterback is something that you don't often see in the NFL. And, I mean, they're certainly able to do it every single year. Mike Tomlin obviously has instilled a culture in which they don't lose football games. They've had a winning season every single year that he's been the head coach. And I think William Gay has uh, taken that upon himself to, to take it take that kind of stride in where he wants to go with his coaching career as, as well. Uh, was also at Missouri State under Bobby Petrino as well. So uh, a little bit of football knowledge from all corners right now, and I think his addition to the secondary room and that, that defense uh, in general will be a great add in the sense of adding a little bit more uh, identity and, 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 and playing with swagger, as we talked about earlier on Talking Ball, Rod. That's something I think Coach Gay can certainly help bring to the table next year. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about uh, the addition of Coach Gay. Uh, you, you guys brought up, you know, a lot of different things in his background. Uh, you know, CJ, he you brought up him being with the Steelers. He was with the Steelers twice, two different occasions. He, he was drafted by the Steelers initially. Then he went to, I believe it was Arizona, maybe, if I'm not mistaken, for a season. And then ends up coming back to uh, the Steelers again for a second stint. And then ends up going back to him again once he retires as a coaching intern. Uh, for a for an organization like the Steelers, right? They are you talking about culture? That's what CJ brought up. That is one of the best run franchises in all of sports, uh, and they liked William Gay a lot. So that's that's a good that right there. That's that's a good reference that the Steelers liked you a lot. <laughs> and uh, Mike Tomlin, my former DB coach, when I was with the Tampa Bay Bucks, um, you know he's a he's a guy that his background was started as a defensive back coach and then became a defensive guru and then a head coach. Dick LeBeau was uh, the defensive coordinator there. For years with uh, William Gay, Dick LeBeau is well known. Go Google that guy. Had been one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of football. 
Um, so I'm sure that William Gay was able to siphon a lot. He moved from, I do know this about moved from corner to nickel and, and moved back to back and forth from corner to slot in his career. So I think, you know, that's, that's important because uh, we talked about versatility, right? That's that buzzword that starts throwing out there describing his DBs. This is a guy that's got some experience moving around in a secondary. Um, so yeah, you know, I think he's a guy that can also give them a lot of um, a lot of tips and a lot of different uh, clues and uh, a lot of different concepts, principles on how to promote versatility in the secondary. And what I also think he can do is, you know, bring his just NFL experience and knowledge to the table. He's not going to be on field scout on field coaching with the guys, but he'll be doing advanced scouting and self scouting. They had a lot of issues that plagued this secondary last season. Um, certain concepts in the passing game, they just could not defend. And they didn't have success defending them all season long. And they came back to haunt them, of course, in that sugar bowl. When you're talking about the deep ball, defending bunch formations, uh, leverage on routes. So inside breaking routes were killing them. I mean, these are things, honestly, that hap- that were a problem this past season. And they were a problem in 2022 as well. So I'm not saying that you know, PK schematically, uh, is there something inadequate, but I do think maybe conceptually there are certain concepts that just work against PK's philosophy. Um, and maybe you need to have some solution, some built-in solutions, some, uh, built-in, uh, fail safes, if you will, but in the defense, and maybe a guy like William Gay can offer up a few, you know, just problem solving, uh, concepts, little, some, just some solutions to the same problems that he may have seen. I know he's seen cause he, he was in the NFL for 11, 12 years that he saw. And then the way that Dick LeBeau or Mike Tomlin would have approached the same exact problem and how they chose to solve it. That's I'll just, I'll take that knowledge right there all day, every day and twice on Sunday. Yep. Oh, you're muted. I want to I want to talk to you about this NFL, you know, the the NFL approach that Sark is taking with his hires and they still need a D-line coach. So we'll talk about that. But I want to tell, do want to tell our audience about Texas electricity ratings. For those of you all still living in the great state, the great state of Texas and major cities, especially with deregulated electricity like Dallas and Houston, you understand that the deregulated electricity market can be very confusing. Texas electricity ratings is a shopping website. lets you compare prices, read customer reviews and find good electricity that fits your needs. It also filters out a lot of the gimmicky plans on websites. Uh, power to choose that uh, empower to choose that trick customers into expensive bills. So if you're in the market for a new electricity plan and you're in Houston, Dallas, or a deregulated area, shop TexasElectricityRatings.com. That's TexasElectricityRatings.com uh, slash OTF. That's on Texas football, obviously, for all your electricity needs. Hook them from the folks at uh, Texas Electricity Ratings. Bring you our Tuesday live stream tonight. Uh, find them there, obviously, if you're in Houston, Dallas, or any of those deregulated areas. And uh, guys, on the on the NFL side, um, and I think it's interesting because Rod and I had a good conversation this morning, and it'll be ongoing. Uh, Jim Nagy, the uh, head of the Reese's Senior Bowl, had a tweet over the weekend where he talked about the, the back end of the NFL draft and really the back end of the Senior Bowl roster has been degraded in a bad way uh, because of college football and the NIL. And the Longhorns are a great example. Guys like Jade Barron and Alfred Collins. We just talked about Jabbar Muhammad, uh, you know, Trey Moore. These are all guys that are already on NFL draft boards. I mean, their NFL draft scouts are looking at these guys. But, you know, as Rod, as you pointed out and I've pointed out many times, when you're when you put your name in the 
in the analysis hopper of the NFL, they tell you first round, second round, or go back to school, right? So, I mean, you get one of you don't get a lot of information that way. Same time, if you're if you're going to be a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, and now there's NIL, and you go back and make a little bit of money and improve your draft stock, um, you know, you're seeing guys make that choice. And and Jim Nagy was talking about, you know, they they, they had a hard time filling out their Senior Bowl roster at the back end because. That fifth to seventh round pick guy, like Jade Barron, potentially Alfred Collins, uh, they're coming back to school yeah. and they're trying to improve their draft stock. And that's probably going to be an ongoing conversation. Uh, and it makes sense, right? I mean, you've got free market, you can come back and make a little bit of money. And, 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 and you know, Isaiah Bond, the there's the Jim Nagy quote right there. I think that's really good. I mean, uh, later round prospects, but the combination of NIL money, widespread use of extra COVID year, and the smallest junior class in over a decade really wiped out the depth of this year's draft. Uh, by late December, our senior ball our senior ball board fell apart in rounds five through seven. Teams will enter uh, either be trading away day three picks to preserve value, or selecting players from their free agent sideboard in April. Uh, you know, obviously that's an NFL conversation, but it's also a college football conversation, and I think it leads to what we're talking about with Sark bringing in coaches uh, CJ with NFL pedigree, uh, who these guys want to take that next step. Andrew Makuba, uh, Jade Barron. Trey Moore. These guys want to uh, move on to the next level, obviously, and to have a Tashard choice and a Chris Jackson at wide receiver for the Isaiah Bond comment about, you know, wants to improve his draft stock. That's what he's coming to Texas for, in addition to play for a really good program and play for a championship. Uh, you can see what Sark's kind of thinking about there, guys, about bringing in guys that have been in the NFL. William Gay's 11, 12 years in the National Football League. Chris Jackson was coaching in the National Football League. Uh, Tashard Choice played and coached in the National Football League. The, you can see what Sark's thinking here. If we're going to be the bridge from college to the NFL, we got to be able to develop these guys in the way that the NFL wants them to be developed. Yeah, you hear it all the time in the high school ranks that the COVID, you know, portal, everything that keeps kids from earning scholarships is kind of the biggest issue in the high school ranks. I didn't think about it from the opposite side of things and and how COVID prevented kids from wanting to leave to the, the NFL. You throw NIL in the mix as well, but you look at it, from a, a school like Texas's perspective in which NIL is a big picture and a big part in why you were able to, you know, kind of uh, uh, attract so much talent in the first place, it helps you because these kids are not wanting to depart for that big paycheck so early because they know that what they have at Texas is sustainable. They know that they can have another year of development, maybe a healthier year on the field, as we've mentioned with John A. Barron, who may, may not have been a hundred percent, uh, healthy the entire season. So a lot of factors go into it. And I certainly think that for schools like Texas, where you can financially meet the needs and and, and kind of compete with that of uh, a late round pick in the NFL, it certainly helps your case and what your, your roster could certainly look like uh, from a turnover perspective each year. So uh, you mentioned Alfred Collins and, and John A. Barron is just a couple. Texas was able to go out and grab a couple portalers who were certainly on draft boards as well. So uh, that's a big piece. And I think Texas is going to continue being a benefactor of that moving forward, which is certainly encouraging. Yep. I told it's, it's, it's interesting because I think it's happened over like a seven, eight year period. It, it's the NFL. Like it started this when they did, they changed their evaluation process when you got the grade back after submitting your name because you wanted your draft grade, they used to give you really kind of detailed grades about what you, how you're going to be drafted. And they gave you this range about, Oh man, you could be drafted from here to there. Now they, they, they went one, 
and go first round, second round, or go back to school. That started in 2015. That was a little bit of a deterrent for some guys. They're like, well, I don't, I don't even know where I stand. I'm not going to go. I don't know where I stand. And then 2018, you get your transfer portal. That gives you more, right? You get more freedom. You can move around a little bit, and your coaches don't have the one. They don't have the the power to, you know, to to withhold you, all right, from being able to transfer for another school and be able to keep you there um, by a lot of shady, you know, duplicitous uh, <laughs> methods. They can't do that anymore because of the transfer portal. All right, that's about uh, player empowerment. And then in 2020, the COVID thing, you get your extra year of eligibility. So now more movement with more eligibility that combined with the NIL that came the very next year as the law of the land. So I get more time in college football, but now I get paid for my time and the big risk of going, of staying in school as opposed to going to the NFL was, well, if I stay in school and if I do get hurt, I, I miss out on all my chance, my big payday and I get nothing, nothing. Oh, I got a scholarship. I'm not saying so nothing. You get your education, but in terms of your compensation for your, your skill, you don't get that. For your name is like you don't get that. Now you can actually you can actually make six figures, a comfortable six figures, just coming back to school. So just having that as a guarantee that helps. And then on top of that, now the NCAA doesn't even care about multiple time transfers. So you can p- transfer multiple times without penalty. You get that added on top of if our coach leaves, I also get the transfer. So it's just a better environment to be a college football player these days. If Rod B had been making that decision, I probably would have come back too. I mean, I was a fourth-round pick. If I was going to be a second-round pick, yeah, but I'm a fourth-round pick. I'll come back to Texas, make a half a million dollars, and get started on my master's degree. You know what I mean? So it's just a way more attractive option. That's why in 2018 you had 106 underclassmen declared for the NFL draft. You know what I mean? You had in 2024, 54. They almost cut that number in half because it's just, you know what? It's better to be a college football player in some ways if you're going to be a late, a mid-to-late-round pick anyway. Yeah, I mean, we've seen guys at Texas uh, over the last five, six years that have gone. I remember little Jordan, little Jordan Humphrey going to the NFL when it was, you know, right. he, he just wanted to go make some money. He didn't want to be in school. Aiden uh, Stearns, I'm gone. <laughs> Aiden Stearns, yeah, a lot yeah. of those guys. And, you know, it, it's this whole different animal. I do think in, in the NFL and with the COVID year expiring and those kind of things, it'll kind of even out. And as we talked about, Rod, the, you know, players like Jade Barron and Jabbar Muhammad, who we're talking about tonight, you know, these guys are going back and play a whole nother year of college football, put another year of college tape. Hopefully it's a healthy year. You know, they can improve their draft stock. So it's going to yep. deepen the draft next year, potentially, because uh, you'll have your normal cycle of players. And then, you know, we're seeing that at quarterback with guys like Bo Nix. We're seeing Bo Nix as a first round draft pick. Never would have thought that two years ago or three years when he left Auburn. That's not even possible. Uh, so Michael Penix, these are guys who have now played a lot of football. So it may help the NFL, you know, improve their bust rate and, and pick better players that are, you know, have proven themselves more at the college level. But at the same time, this year's draft at the back end, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you may see NFL teams trying to bail out of that draft pick uh, because you're going to be drafting preferred free agents probably in those spots, which just makes the, the pool of of, uh, of talent deeper. Uh, I think we're already and I know you cover it too, CJ. I, you cover college baseball. You're seeing that right now at the college baseball level. You know, so many players are staying and uh, developing the college level um, because they, you know, they enjoy playing college baseball and getting developed at that level. College baseball has never been deeper than it is right now as far as talent. Maybe we see a little bit of that in college football over the next couple of years. Uh, yeah. And Texas would be a good example of that, having able to plug these holes. But I also think it's important that Sark is taking that, that you know, kind of seeing this, Rod, 
I mean, you got to study the game, right? You got to study what's happening and to try to bring in coaches with an NFL background. I think it's big. I mean, I think it's important. Yeah. It resonates with the players. Yeah, I think it. Well, I, you know, the recruiting pitch, you know, to get players hadn't changed that much since you know I was being recruited way back when I was a teenager. We all want to play, no matter what generation of football player you're recruiting, from the guy from the '70s, the guy from the '90s, and the guy from the 2020. They all want to go to the league. They all want to go to the league. And when you're talking to a young, I've talked to these young teenagers, these young uh, football players in high school. And when you tell them you play in the league, they look at you differently. Their ears perk up. They listen with a little bit more intent. Like, hold up, what, what, oh, what? And that's what Sark, Sark understands that. And when, you know, you, you talk about this staff, when you can sit down with a young person and say, you know what? I think you got to take what I think you got what it takes to play in the league. You know what I mean? I've been there. I've actually seen NFL players. I was in practice with them. I played against them. You got what it takes. Now you got to listen to what we tell you to do. All right. You got to work hard and you got to listen to what Coach Choice tells you because Coach Choice played in the NFL. You got to listen to what Coach Sark tells you because Sark was an NFL coach or Coach Flood or, you know what I mean? You go Coach Jackson. It goes on and on. You got to listen to those guys. But hey, man, what we were telling you that we've seen NFL guys. These guys coached and played in the NFL. You're an NFL guy. Oh, you need to come to Texas and, you know, we can start the pipeline. And then once you've proven that you can develop NFL talent, which Texas is going to do in this draft, then you can make those natural connections. In the, the guy in the living room talking, hey, I've been in the NFL. I saw it. I coached against it. I played against it. You are an NFL player. You got what it takes. Come to Texas. We're developing NFL players at your position. Didn't you see what we did in the draft this past year? Bing, bing, and you make the connection, and it's easy. That, that's easy money. So that I think he's just doubling down on the what is a for show recruiting pitch to every player you're gonna recruit. Do you want to play in the league? They all do. We all do. Period. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, yeah. percent. Uh, and as you're developing now, you can make a little little money on the side, and that makes things a little bit easier. I think mm -hmm. that that is a really good wide ranging conversation. Um, philosophically around football and the industry of football right now. Hey, guys, defensive line coach, that brings us to that spot. It's still empty. Uh, I was told today with that Rod Wright has been the uh, the focus for Texas, but that maybe uh, upon the season ending for the Houston Texans, conversations were had, and maybe um, I don't want to put words into mouths, but that maybe recruiting wasn't the favorite thing for Rod Wright, that the idea of coaching, developing talent, uh, but maybe the NFL, working with D'Amico Ryans, the year they just had in Houston was pretty special, pretty special young group that the idea of uh, even coming back to his alma mater was trumped by the idea of staying where they're at, developing there in Houston, but also, you know, do I really want to go recruit? I really want to go sit in living rooms. And uh, Rod, you, you, you've talked to a lot of guys who could be really good coaches who that becomes maybe the biggest deterrent for former players who want to get into coaching. Cause that's, that's a lot. Um, you know, when it's going year round now in this cycle, and especially if you're Rod Wright, who's a great player here at Texas and you're, you're in a really good place with a young coach like D'Amico Ryan's. He did it, right? It, it, he was at UTSA. He was at Miami. He he knows what like on the recruiting trail. He gets it. He knows that that calendar is is growing more and more packed, jam packed every day. And no, none of the NCAA decision makers <laughs> um, have done the coaches any favors by trying to you know figure out different ways to I'll say ease the tension, ease the stress, the burden 
on these coaches with this jam-packed calendar now with the transfer portal windows and recruiting windows. I it is it, it's wild. There is no downtime. There's no off season for coaches anymore. And I think for and I, matter of fact, there was uh, Eli Drinkwitz. I heard him on I believe seven ninety in H Town. And he's he's when Nick Saban retired, he said the same thing. Say we're gonna chase out, we're gonna chasing good coaches out of the game. At least he's talking about the college game. And he went on kind of a long rant about it. But he one of the things he talked about was you know they got to figure out um, basically how this how the how the structure of college the college football in the modern day in a modern age. And they haven't really done that. And because of it. It's uh, like I said, I don't think the job as a head, head coach or for any coach has been, I don't think it's ever been tougher. It's, it's as tough as it's ever been um, with the, the calendar currently the way it is. So I could see a coach like Rod Wright once you get to the league and all you got to do is coach and develop talent and you ain't got to recruit, which is basically it's a, whole, it's a full-time job. Yeah. Recruiting is a full-time job. CJ just CJ follows recruiting. That's a full-time job. <laughs> so recruiting is a full-time job on, on top of being a coach which is a full-time job. So he knows, man, man, I go to college, I got I to gotta do like two, three jobs in one. I go to the league, I got one job. Develop this talent, period. Yeah, absolutely. Develop talent, that's it. So, yeah, sorry, CJ, go ahead. No, I mean, I kind of liken being a college coach to being like the, a president or a politician. I mean, no one wants to sit down and go over the numbers of precincts that you're trailing or precincts that you're winning, who you got to target, how you're going to schedule out your campaign campaign trail. You don't want to do that, but you sure want to walk up on stage and feel the, the, the celebratory applause and shake the hands and kiss the babies. That's the fun part of it. That's what coaching is. All that other stuff is, you know, that's the recruiting. That's dealing with NIL. That's all the extra little bits and pieces that you mentioned that you don't have to do as a as a NFL coach. So yeah. I, I I see that that side of things 100%. I know coming back to your alma mater and returning to what Texas is is doing right now is something that's very shining, but as you mentioned, the Texans aren't in a bad position right now with a young head coach, a young quarterback. It looks like they're going to be contenders for the the I mean the immediate future at least, but beyond that, it, it looks like that future is going to be very bright as well. Uh, so I certainly see the idea of not wanting to come back and take on those extra tasks. Because as you mentioned, you don't have to do that in the NFL. You just show nope. up to work. And you coach the seven or eight guys that are in your room, and you say, "All right, That's it. after uh, you know we're done with this meeting, y'all y'all go play some golf. Y'all go get some treatment. I'm gonna go, you know, kick my feet up on the couch and watch a movie. I'll see you guys <laughs> tomorrow. You know, like yeah. you don't have to get on the phone and call every high school in the state and, and 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 keep those relationships going. You don't have to watch huddle film all night. You know, it's a it's a different lifestyle, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, and I find it interesting as we talk about all these. I mean, these last three or four conversations, NFL and college football, that uh, UCLA is reportedly hiring Darren Usher, who will become over, who's coming in from Oregon to become the general manager of UCLA football. We now have our first instance of a major college program hiring and giving someone the title of general manager, guys. Which don't think it'll be the last because there's so many jobs, there's so much going on with portals, recruiting. The day to day, it is. It's becoming yep. more and more an NFL front office. And finally, Chip Kelly, who we know he has a very strong thoughts about college football and where it's at, they've actually taken the step to hiring a coach who will have the title of general manager, uh, running the front that's, office. Essentially, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's that's certainly something that's new. The term general manager is in the college ranks. Well, that practice has been going on for a little bit. There are programs around the country, even in the state of Texas, in which they have player personnel guys behind the scenes that tell their position coaches who they need to target because of the metrics that they fit from a speed or measurable side, side of things. They'll take on all the film and just basically point to the coaching staff, uh, position coaches, and say, yeah, you need to go get those three kids. That's who we want this year. So it's not necessarily a brand new concept. The term general manager is brand new. And that'll be really interesting to see exactly how often that is adopted from a whole you know, country side of things for the college football. I know that some coaching staffs also pride themselves in being able to evaluate very well. So if they're able to, if they're asked to give up their, their huddle watching rights, I don't know how well, you know, many coaching staffs will take that. So that, that that's interesting. <laughs> that's really interesting. It is right. And Rod, you know, in the NFL, we talk about a lot. Your Cowboy fans know they they don't really have the good chain of command that you need. But, you know, the, you have to have somebody in that role that handles those kind of things. I mean, there's also the NIL side of it. There's there's a lot to handle. And one person, Steve Sarkeesian, insert head coach here, can't do it all. They literally can't. There aren't enough hours in the day to handle everything that goes on in a major college football program right now. There's just yeah. not. I totally. That's why these support staffs continue to grow, right? They're growing and growing. And at one point when – there's a separation of the have and the have nots when it does actually happen. Uh, power four, whatever it becomes, right? Um, they're basically be they'll be front, they'll be just straight up front offices. I mean, uh, just like the NFL, as you mentioned, it's just the beginning of it. And it has to be because NIL has totally transformed the face and the and the entire body of college sports, but also of college football. And at this point, I do think you're going just for the the big time college football programs like a Texas, you know, like your you know your Alabamas and your Oklahomas and those big time Michigans and everything. You're going to basically need multiple. You're going to need a general manager, an assistant general manager, just like in the NFL. You're going to need a capologist with your NIL. Call them what you want, NIL strategist. I don't know. Give them some fancy name, whatever. They know about all the NIL resources, how they tie in inextricably to the transfer portal and how they tie to your recruiting. Are You know what? We're only going to give 30% of our uh, our budget, our NIL budget for transfer portal acquisitions this time. We want to go more 70% to recruiting or we're going to go 50-50, man. We really got to get more proven commodities. You're going to have it just like that. It's going to be like the free agency and it's going to be you know, as close as you can get to the NFL model. Well, I give UCLA credit. Just go ahead and call it what it is. It's a general manager. Yeah. He's going to handle the front office, and the coach is going to be the coach. And obviously, Jip Kelly has plenty of NFL experience there. UCLA, he knows how that works. All right, guys, real quick, um, before we get some super chats, I do want to mention it's on Texas football, but on Texas basketball, it does feel like the Longhorn basketball team may have found something. If you're taping this game and watching it, you know, push mute for a second. But, uh, you know, that – Horns down controversy of last Tuesday night. Longhorns are up 14 right now at Oklahoma. They've played a hell of a second half. Uh, they've stopped turning the basketball over, uh, and they're running uh, Oklahoma out of the gym right now in this second half. They've outscored them 42 to – or 44 to uh, – I think it's uh, – yeah, there it is, 42-27 in the second half. Uh, Max Aismas scored 25 points. Um, Tyrese Hunter's having another really good good game here, especially in the second half. Dylan Mitchell's stopped turning the ball over from the first half, playing a really good game right now. Uh, Dylan DeSue's doing his thing. You know, this team does feel like it's finding its identity. Uh, and, 
you know, there's not many teams in the country that can throw offensive weapons like that at you. Max Aismas is, is, you know, back in the state of Oklahoma. He played at Oral Roberts for four years. He's gone past Elvin Hayes tonight, by the way, as now number 15 all-time in NCAA scoring, which is pretty incredible. He's got 22. Uh, this is this is becoming an interesting basketball team. And to have back-to-back top 15 wins, which they're about to post in 46 seconds, they're up 74 to 60. Um, this is something to build on. I don't know if it had anything to do with last Tuesday, but it does feel like this team is kind of galvanized around their coach and the controversy that surrounded it. And they're playing more in a, in a more intense brand of basketball. They're about to hold Oklahoma to 60, 60 ish points on their home floor. Yeah, pretty impressive. A big win and one that Texas needed in terms of their uh, tournament hopes as well. So big win. Uh, I thought Kendall Weaver has really taken a step forward in terms of what he brings to the table. Uh you talk about a glue guy and kind of the, the the dirty work that you want to see there. He's the embodiment of that. He's the one that really does a tremendous job of diving on the loose floor, going after loose balls, also providing a scoring uh, threat as well. So I've been impressed with him as of late. And again, this has to be the new normal for Texas basketball. You have a razor thin line from that tournament to, to window uh, uh, of the NIT. So big win, big resume booster as well. Hopefully they can keep that momentum going. And stealing road wins, Rod, we talked about it. They've already dropped two games at home, Texas Tech and Central Florida. Now to go on the road and get one at Oklahoma, your rival, where I think they've won six straight at Lloyd Noble Center. No matter the coach and the roster, they kind of like playing there. But what I like, and you and I have talked about it a lot, Rod, they're going to score. I mean, they're going to put points on the board. DeSue, Acemas, Tyrese Hunter, they're too good offensively. If they don't turn the ball over and they play defense like they are tonight where they're holding Oklahoma to 60 points, um, they're going to win some basketball games. There's no doubt because they can score the basketball. And the defense, if you have at least some consistent defense, at least you can stay in the game until yeah. your offense comes around. When your yeah. offense, when you do have slow starts, or uh, when you know maybe uh, some of your key guys are off, whatever it may be, there are no nights off in the Big Twelve, so there's no time to catch your breath. But it looks like the horns down controversy ignited something with the group. So I'm, well, hey, I'm, I'm happy about it. Rodney Terry had to apologize and he felt he had to apologize. Classy move by Rodney Terry because he's a, he's a classy dude. Uh, but whatever it was behind the scenes, I'm with you that it might've lit something and that's good. I'll, I'll take it. They need all the motivation that they can get in the big 12, man. Cause the big 12 is an absolute brutal league to be in. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like being in a tournament every damn night. It's a well, tournament man. game. <laughs> Yeah, we're yeah, going to wrap this uh, Tuesday live stream coming up, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. But just know that Houston's playing BYU tonight in BYU, and that's the next two opponents for Texas. So if you want to scout the next two opponents for the Longhorn basketball team, they play at BYU Saturday, and then they come home for Houston next week uh, in a big uh, you know, big game at Moody Center. So uh, watch that game. But, yeah, they're becoming a fun team to watch. This second half was as good as I've seen them play. And the last two weeks against Baylor, their last two games against Baylor and now – Oklahoma, the second half, they've really played well, especially on the defensive end and, and cut down the turnovers. I agree with you 100%, CJ, on Kendall Weaver. And you know, one of the things you and I talked about, Rod, that uh, maybe, you know, you know, Coach Terry's reaction to the horns down, he was as much mad at his own team for blowing a 16-point lead on their home floor, but also that they weren't upset about it. Like, they weren't <laughs> like, hey, man, <laughs> they're doing horns down in your building. Uh, I'm going to get mad about it, and and you guys should be mad about this. Like, we got to defend our home floor with a little more passion. And I pride. think we've seen that yeah, pride. We've seen that intensity, yep. I think, from this team the last two games. And they beat number nine in the country and number 15 in the country, one at home, one on the road. So I think it's trending in a good direction, and they're fun to watch right now. 
with Max and Tyrese Hunter and uh, Dylan DeSue and Dylan Mitchell, who turned the ball over too much early. Man, he ended up with a really nice stat line, rebounds, block shots. He was all over the floor tonight, so that was fun to see. Hey, guys, um, uh, as we were talking about the NFL, uh, and we'll we'll get uh, some super chats here in a second, but I wanted to ask about if, if Rod Wright is indeed doing the – you know, I, I've seen college life, Rod, with UTSA and Miami, yeah. and it's not getting any easier. I kind of like this D'Amico Ryan's guy uh, and coaching a guy like Will Anderson and these kind of players. I'll stay here. What is the next step, CJ, at defensive line coach? Any thought, anything you're hearing there? Because they got to get somebody in place in that in that uh, coaching spot. Yeah, if it's not Rod right, I mean, I, I guess you – I don't, I don't want to say you go back to the drawing board because you have other guys on that list that you hope to have pursued or at least done some extensive background on it at the moment. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where Texas goes from here. I, I do think we'll continue to see an approach towards the NFL. I think that's kind of been what Sarkeesian has hoped and, and, and uh, at least attempted to bring to his Texas program. As we've mentioned, obviously, William Gaze, who's someone we talked about, Chris Jackson from the previous uh a calendar year with someone that Texas brought in as well. If it's not someone that Sarkeesian has ties to previously, like Johnny Manson, I think he'll go to that NFL route and try and get someone to come in and, and truly develop his guys to the next level. That's where I lean right now. Uh, there's a couple names. I know that the Lions defensive uh, line coach right now is still in the playoffs. He has ties to the state of Texas as well. So that could be someone to keep an eye on. Uh, we'll certainly – dig as much as we can and come up with a couple names, you know, moving forward, if it's not Rod Wright. Uh, but for now, Texas, again, uh, but here's something else. Texas doesn't have a defensive line coach right now. Issue, maybe, didn't have him for the junior day. But the Texas coaching staff is also on the road right now. As a result, Brandon Harris, the director of recruiting, has kind of been elevated into that 10th assistant coaching role and is on the road today. He was in uh, Louisiana. He stopped at uh, Catholic High School down there, uh, University uh, Lab, as well as a couple others in that area. Uh, that's been one of the hot spots for big-time Texas targets as well. Uh, University Lab is home to Keelan Moses and the number two prospect in the entire uh, country, uh, Lamar Brown. And so uh, Texas actually offered Brown this afternoon. So Texas is doing work, even with that 10th uh, assistant coach spot not filled. Brandon Harris is taking over for that role right now on the road, continuing Texas's approach uh, in the recruiting ranks. So something to keep an eye on as well. Recruiting never sleeps. Life of a college coach, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Well, and Brandon Harris is a really good recruiter. Uh, so if he's out on the road and allowed to do that because you're you're missing a, a defensive coach with Bo Davis going to LSU, then uh, Brandon Harris is a really guy, uh, a connecting type of guy uh, who can get after it and uh, fill that role until they find the right guy, which makes it feel like you don't – if Rod Wright is indeed, you know, thinking about and considering staying at Houston with the Texans that you can take your time and make if sure you, you get want, the right – I would say this, though. I know because Rod Wright obviously would be the NFL connection. I agree with you guys. I do think he wants that an NFL – uh, kind of credential uh, on on the resume. Uh, Frank Ocam is at Toledo now, but remember he was in the NFL. Yeah, um, he was in the NFL for a while. He was with the I believe he was with the Raiders for a while. He was with I don't know, Carolina, I believe it was too. Yeah, Carolina Raiders with Carolina for two stints. That he's with Toledo now, and I don't know if he's been a name that's been thrown out there and not for, in terms of, I know he's been thrown out there. We've talked about him, but I don't know if Sarak has considered him a candidate. That is somebody to consider because he does have the NFL background as a player, but also as a coach. 
uh, Oscar Giles, the name has come up, but he I don't think Oscar Giles has any NFL pedigree in his background to that extent. So if you want the NFL pedigree and a guy who you know is willing to recruit, Franco Cam could be a possible choice too. Love me some Franco Cam. Covered him. That's a smart yeah. guy. You, you can have a lot of uh, long conversations with Frank about a lot of different things. He's an interesting yeah. dude. And Toledo's uh, doing really good. Toledo right now, I believe Toledo finished like tenth in total sacks. Yeah, uh, okay. something like that. They were pretty. They were really good. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's do some super chats, Matt. Let's uh, get some questions there, Rob. With the winter workout starting up, walk us through that process. Who made the biggest physical change? in an off season that you knew of, I guess is the question from Justin. We appreciate that super chat, uh, making physical change, especially with, uh, you know, 18 new high school players on campus rod and eight new portal players. I mean, there's a lot of work that can done. And Sark talked about it after winning the big 12 championship, the, the road to the championship and the path to it was laid in January. Yeah, that's a good point in terms of who has made the business in terms of on the team who made the, the biggest physical transformation. I mean, that'd be tough. Got to, I mean, get a chance to see these guys. I, I do think who I'd like to see uh, make the big, biggest physical transformation um, would probably be a guy like uh, Anthony Hill. Because, I mean, he came in just, you know, just raw talent. Um, and, and when I saw him for the first time, I even, I mean, you could see that he still got his kind of teenage baby uh fat and body still like he he hasn't necessarily even filled out he looks like on the field because he's just a specimen of a human but man when you get these guys in a weight room well one full off season and get them with the nutrition and dietitian i think that's a guy if his body when his body transforms because it will it's gonna it's gonna take his level of play to another stratosphere he's already a freshman all-american um, and I think once he once they get him in an offseason, uh, they could transform him as well, get him in a strength and conditioning program. Uh, you know, guys like uh, they the running backs. I mean, Cedric Baxter this is a guy that needs to transform. Right. He needs that armor. Uh, he was getting nicked up here and there. Uh, he's bigger than I thought, too. When I saw him personally, I, I didn't realize he was so big. I, I did not. I had no idea. I mean, he's huge. Dude, yeah. looks kind of like a little. I mean, like you could be a linebacker pretty much if you wanted to put some some serious weight on him. He's a guy that when they put the armor on him, he'll be able to take some more licks and be able to help you as with that power running game with that inside running game. Um, so he's another guy. Can't wait to see his body transform. Um, man, that's a lot of those those young guys that you know last year just showed you flashes, and you know they get one year in the conditioning program and they really obsess about it. Um, immerse themselves in it, they could really take a huge step. Yeah, I think you said the name I was thinking, Rod, was C.J. Baxter, just because he he was a freshman, and we've heard, and you could recover recruiting, C.J. I mean, that state of Florida, you know, they don't they don't have that in-period football period like they do in the state of Texas, and it's not as, as, as organized as you see in the great state. Uh, and so these guys come in, and they need that, that college weight room. They got to put that uh, – they're great talents, there's no doubt about it, coming out of the state of Florida, but they got to put that armor on that Rod talked about. Uh, Quinn Ewers, obviously, was the number one body transformation from a year ago. Uh, we'll see where that goes. And then you know, Ethan Burke, another guy you'd love to see add a couple of pounds. Who are guys you're looking at, CJ, that uh, you know can, can use this next six months to really transform and you know, look like even a different player in the fall? Quinn is one of them. You mentioned it right there, Aaron. I mean, uh, I'd love to see Quinn add about 10 pounds of muscle, especially in his lower half, so you can use him in those short, quick, you know, fourth and inches kind of situation for a QB sneak. Obviously, it'd be nice to get 
armor on him as well so that those big hits don't sideline him. As we've seen the last two seasons, he's had to miss games uh, with little nagging injuries. Uh, aside from that, Sadir Mitchell is a guy that comes to mind, slimming down, losing some of that bad weight, adding good weight, and obviously getting into shape in which Texas can use him uh, for extended snaps this fall would be big uh, on the defensive line. Uh, aside from that, I look at Derek Williams as another guy. I, I really think mm. that he could be a guy that could bulk up a little bit. Uh, we don't necessarily know who's going to be that big headhunter guy for the Texas secondary. It'd be great if it was Derek Williams, obviously smart in a, in a smart approach so that he's not out with targeting. Uh, but <laughs> Derek Williams can bring a hit, a hit every now and then. I would like to see him add a couple uh, a couple more LBs. So those, those three names certainly come to mind. Uh, but, man, this spring, to, to answer that last super chat, Quinn Ewers has got to be taking that next step. It's got to be one of those approaches in spring football where they're going through live team periods and scrimmages, and Quinn Ewers is just facilitating the ball, and that offense is scoring a lot of points through the air. That's what I hope to see. I think the running game will be able to uh, put up some points this spring as a result of the offensive line coming back as well as the running backs that we hope to see take that next step. But right now it's got to be Quinn Ewers being able to throw the football across the field, make any throw on any trajectory, any velocity, whatever it might be, year three in the same system, he's got to take that next jump to being the best quarterback in the country, what yeah. he was touted to be coming in. I agree with CJ on that. You talk about Quinn and this spring and what he needs to do. He's got all these new additions, right, the transfer portal additions, three new receivers coming in, even the young guys who are going to step up, your Jontae Cooks and Ryan Wingos and your Ryan Niblets. I mean, they have not had a lot of on-field time, on-field reps with Quinn Ewers. So this offseason is really going to be about what we don't see and what we don't have access to, right? The quarterbacks, the starting quarterbacks, hell, maybe – you know, maybe now it's different, but back, back when I played, starting quarterback got the keys to the practice fields. He got the keys. So he could go to the practice fields and throw anytime he wanted to, anytime, day or night, didn't matter. He had the keys. He could go up there and boom, get some work in. That's what I want to see from Quinn because the one thing that he's going to be missing, it starts bringing in proven commodities for him. He's bringing in guys that have been there and done that on the big stages on the biggest of stages, right, in college football that have been productive. So you're going to get those guys. You're also going to get high upside guys who haven't done it necessarily, but who got a lot of upside, like John T. Cook and your Ryan Wingos. But what you are going to be lacking is chemistry. You don't have chemistry with these guys. They just came in. Talent through the roof. Productivity coming in. You got guys who explosive playmakers, but you don't have chemistry with these guys. So to, to develop that chemistry, to expedite that process, you got to be throwing and you got to be getting as many routes in, as many throwing sessions in with these guys individually as a group, as a, as, as with seven on seven against your, your team, your defense, you got to gather those guys. That's going to be up to Quinn, right? The, the, the coaches, they cannot organize these, you know, team activities, right? Away from uh, the practice sessions and away from spring football. Only Quinn can do this. I don't know if the defense can, can organize their own, but he needs the defense to help him out because he's going to need a good look. All right, from the defense. So he's got to organize these throwing sessions. He's got to organize one-on-one sessions with the DBs. And the guys got their different schedules. Trust me, it can be a bit of a challenge <laughs> to get everybody on the same page. But everybody's got to be committed to it because everybody's got to understand now, man, Quinn needs to develop chemistry with these wide receivers. He needs to work out a lot of the growing pains and the kinks here in the offseason. Even before we get to spring football, spring football, we need to actually be on track already. We need to already be on a track where these guys have some, you know, some foundation 
together. And um, some rapport already built in. And that's going to be a twin. This is Quinn's team. Last year wasn't Quinn's team. Last year, you know, it, it, it didn't feel like it was Quinn's team. We had a lot of skill, talent, a lot of good players. But I don't know if you can say that was Quinn's team. The year before that, that was Bijan and Rojo's team. This is Quinn's team. It's going to be up to Quinn to, I think, necessarily to organize these guys. But also, it's going to be up to him to motivate these guys. They're going to follow him. He's the you just said it, CJ. Third year in the system. He's a he's a proven vet. He's going. He's got the best Heisman odds right now in the country. It's Quinn's team. Yeah. So I want to see. I want to see him step up, and I want to see how he performs when it's his team. You know who else want to see that? The NFL scouts want to see it. If you are one one guy, as my man Bobby Burton always points out, you're supposed to be a one one guy drafted in that rarefied air, that rarefied space. They want to see you uplift the play of everybody around you. They want to see you be an alpha male of alpha males in that locker room. They want to see you show you got that that dog. The dogs will follow you, and that's what I want to see from Quinn. I can't wait. I, I think I know he's up to the challenge. I'm I just can't wait to see him in that role because we haven't seen him in that role yet. And yes, yeah. CJ's right. He needs to gain some weight. Get a little bit thicker, so again, you know. Well, yeah, to lose it now, he can get back that uh, muscle weight. I think that's a good way yeah. to put it, and agree with you. And you know what? <laughs> I would guess Arch Manning will be right there with him because Arch Manning's that kind of guy too. Uh, as far as you know, if he's his backup, not to try to stir controversy, but Arch is Jim Rat too. He loves being around the game, you know, throwing, getting organized, and those kind of things. So uh, I think there's some some, and that would be a great thing for this program if the two quarterbacks take control of it. It's Quinn's team without a doubt, but Arch will be there too, and that'll be a lot of fun. I think to follow this offseason. Best quarterbacks of Texas had that, right? Uh, your guy Sims had the keys, Rod. Uh, he had the keys, Young, man. Vince Young had the keys. Colt McCoy Our had the keys. Yeah. Sam Ellinger had the keys. Sam I guarantee you, Arch, Arch got some keys. They gave Arch some keys, too. Usually the backup don't get keys, but they gave Arch some. They, they gave him to Sims, too. Sims wasn't always a starter. Major was a starter, but Sims got them keys, though. So if you're a celebrity quarterback, even if you're the backup, you get some keys. I love it. Uh, what's our last super chat, Matt? Let's hit that and uh, make sure we answer that question because we appreciate them so much. Is there one more, Matt, that we can hit on a super chat? Or did we do it? I think we got it. All right, good. I think we got it. We got that super chat. Did we not? I think so. All right, good. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's thank our friends at Texas Electricity Ratings. I mean, obviously, if you live in Houston or Dallas in a deregulated area. You really want to be a part of this uh, because anyone shopping for electricity in the deregulated zones of Texas uh, Texas, TexasElectricityRating.com is the best place to find a great electricity plan for your household. For starters, it filters out dangerous and gimmicky plans from providers that are uh, all hat, no cattle, as we tell you. Uh, it comes to your monthly bill. You can shop by rate. Also, an average bill will feature the, uh, you can shop by that rate, but also uh, an average bill that features uh, and actually takes into account seasonal usage to give you the real number, not some placeholder. So if you're looking for a new energy plan, Check out TexasElectricityRating.com. That's TexasElectricityRating.com slash OTF. Make sure you put that slash OTF. That gets on Texas football in there uh, for the best options available. And hook them. They're big Longhorn fans. You're going to love it uh, with deregulators. Check those out. TexasElectricityRatings.com. All right, guys. We've got lots to talk about moving forward, including uh, uh, Longhorn basketball tomorrow. That'd be great. Uh, big win at Oklahoma. Anytime you beat Oklahoma in anything, uh, you know, that's, that's what you're talking about. Porter Mosier's team was number 15 in the country. So Longhorns with a nice win at uh, Norman tonight. Also, the Texas women will be hosting uh, Oklahoma tomorrow night at Moody Center. So uh, always good to get ahead of get a hold of those those Sooners uh, in that conversation. Uh, it says Rod and uh, CJ Sark, the defensive and the defensive staff loading up everywhere around the interior DL because they know development is needed. Hence, NFL caliber D line coach on the interior D line thing. Thank you, Seth. That's a, a big super chat. Appreciate you there, guys. Thoughts? Oh. 
Yeah, thank you, Seth. Big time. I, I certainly think that Texas is approaching its defense in a in a in a in an idea that they can improve everywhere. You added now in the secondary, the linebacking core, Trey Moore off the edge. You saw Sevilla added as well. They've added everywhere. Is that because the weakness is going to be in the interior? I don't think so. I think this will be something that you see every single cycle. Texas will go out and find pieces that they think can compete and add to their uh, to their roster with immediate impact. This is going to be an every year occurrence in my eyes. Texas will go out and add whoever they can to think that they can fit in the culture, compete on the field, and impact your uh, your football program in a positive direction. This will be what we see moving forward regardless. I think this was just the blueprint of how Sarkeesian will continue to approach the portal moving forward. Yeah, it's um, I don't think that Sark and PK have really gotten the chance to build and construct the defense the way that they have envisioned, right? I think a lot of the defense so far has been built out of necessity. Um, and it's been built on what they inherited, the strengths of the players they inherited. And they inherited a really good defensive front, right? Uh, well, it was really good. They developed those guys, but they had a lot of good players up there. Your Jalen Ford ended up being a really good player. Tavondre Sweat exceeded expectations, outperformed, you know, his recruiting rankings. You know, Byron Murphy ended up being a really good player for you. You had Colburn, you had Ojemo. So, I, I think the identity and the brand of football that they've been playing on defense has been – can, it, it has been built around the strength, which is what they inherited, and that was in the front seven. And now I think Sark and PK are now starting to construct the defense with how they want to and how they visualize PK's uh, ideal defense to be. Um, I'm not saying that it lacks interior defensive linemen, not at all. I mean, I'm not there. I, I do think in terms of roster construction, defense was put not on the back burner but it was one of the last phases of roster construction. I've talked about this, and the defensive backfield was one of the last areas of roster construction. Look at, you know, the defensive back class they're bringing in now, right? Five DBs in this class, the most that Sark has brought in the class. It was one of the last areas they were addressing in roster construction, and you can tell a lot by the kind of DBs that they're recruiting, versatile, speedy DBs that can flat-out cover. Um, So I, I just think that, those two things are lining up them uh, now starting to approach roster construction with the defense in the last phase, which is that defensive backfield and them that coinciding with them losing what they inherited as a strength, which was their front seven guys, Shelly Ford and the interior defensive line. And now I think they have to almost go back and start to construct the interior defensive line in the front seven again, because they they really have not approached it defensively as I would say as a priority because they had they inherited so many good players on the front seven. So I think now when you look at it, it almost seems like the back seven is going to be the strength because of what they've done there already. Your Terrence Brooks, your Malik Muhammad, your Derek Williams now in there, Jade Barrons will come back, but they got McCuba in the transfer portal, Anthony Hill they got, right? It's like, oh, they, you know, they got Kyle Simmons coming on the edge. So it's almost like they've constructed it from the outside in, but I just think that it's almost that's almost co- coincidental. Almost, it's just uh, it more than more so than intentional or deliberate. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It's good stuff. And I would also say to the question about the NFL. I mean, we talked about it throughout the the live stream tonight, but it almost it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy, guys. If you bring in 
NFL coaches that develop these guys into the NFL and you're putting draft picks in like you are this year, the recruiting cycle, you're not able to negatively recruit Texas at all. I mean, the next crop are going to want to play at Texas because they're winning and they're playing at a high level and they're going to play on Sundays. I mean, that's really the goal. And I think that's Sark's vision on, you know, we've got the NIL opportunities. We can we can help these guys along the way. Um, we're winning. Uh, we're going to the SEC. And we're, we're, we're bringing in NFL coaches at some level with NFL backgrounds to make sure yeah. these guys get drafted into the National Football League. At that point, you're almost bulletproof as far as that goes uh, for negative recruiting. Because there's, yep. what are you going to say? What are you going to tell yep. people? Uh, there's no reason. And so that's where you, CJ, you see this on the recruiting trail. You're you're starting to pick the guys you want, right? You're starting to, uh, you know, Nick Saban did this. Georgia did it with Kirby Smart. You know, we're not casting a wide net of recruiting. We're pinpointing guys. We want you. And here's why. And uh, that's going to be hard to, for those guys to say no, especially yeah. out of the state of Texas. Yeah, without a doubt. You just saw it again this weekend with Texas in their junior day. Added two commitments, uh, racing Guillory out of the 2026 class, a running back from Alito, tremendous talent, as well as Lance Jackson, who uh, we were fortunate enough to speak to on Sunday night. We spoke to his uh, high school coach, Josh Gibson, this morning as well. Had great things to say. Josh Gibson, his head coach, actually said he's surprised he is not a five-star caliber guy when you combine 6'6", 265 with the bend that he has off the edge, as well as the athleticism in which that he combines with a 93-mile-per-hour fastball on the mound. So a lot to like right there with Lance Jackson. But that's to your point. You start seeing these guys willing to commit to Texas earlier as a result of this sustained success and on-field development that we've seen this past season. And as that continues to trickle, you'll start seeing that more and more. Because yeah, guys want that spot, Rod. Guys want to be a tell. When I, that's, yeah, yeah. I don't want to miss my, my opportunity to play at Texas because they're doing the things we're talking about. And obviously that's uh, where, the, where Sark wants to take this program uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm sure he gets all the girls too. that guy. I mean, he's got 94 mile hour fastball. He's six, six, <laughs> dude, I mean, bend like, all right, come on, man. I mean, how many, how many genetic traits can you get in one body? That's pretty awesome. I love that guy. Uh, all right, guys, good stuff. Fun Tuesday. Now Longhorn basketball with a big win tonight. And I'm sure that'll be talked about a little bit tomorrow on coffee and football. Uh, it'll be you and Bobby and uh, the full run tomorrow. Thank you to Texas electricity ratings. Rod, you and I'll be talking about it tomorrow on the horn, hornfm.com. Okay. Rod, thanks guys. Appreciate it. And Matthew, you. of course, all the super chats, all the uh, viewers, we appreciate you very much. It's been a fun night. Uh, you guys, uh, any parting thoughts? Or are we good? Just hook them, baby. Big yeah, win at Moody North. Oh, and all you suck. All you suck.